just reply and I say, well, you got to understand this. Some kids are easier to love than others. <laughs> and that was absolutely true in our assignment. Um, you know I love this church. You know I brag about this church. You know I'd attend this church if I had the opportunity. Can you keep a secret? Can you keep a secret? You guys are more fun than the 9 o'clock people. I said to Benj, I, I said, there's, I, I hope there's a difference between 9 and 11 in terms of the way people engage with you. He said, oh, there is. So thanks for that. I always figured, when, I, when Barb first called me and asked me about taking on the assignment on May 10th of speaking to you, I forgot that it was Mother's Day. And I always said when I retired, there's two times a year I won't preach anniversary services or Mother's Day, and somehow you guys have hooked me into both of those. <laughs> and, and the reason is simply this. It's not that I don't like mothers. I, you know, one guy said to me this week, what is it about your mother you hate? Well, she's been dead for 21 years. But, um, mother's Day is a tough assignment for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's not a religious holiday. But, but, but there's, there's several things that... Last week, the church I was in, the pastor used it, and he said, I hope all your mothers are going to step to the plate, and next week you're going to drag some people here. You know, just tell them that you, you, if you, they could give you something for Mother's Day, it would be to go to church with us. And I was wishing I was there today to see the skid marks in the parking lot with <laughs> people being. But I also had a conversation with a friend a couple of weeks ago, and she um, she knew that she had responsibilities in the nursery on this Sunday, and she was, went to a, another gal, and she said, Marilyn, would you be willing to fill in for me at nursery second service on Mother's Day? And Marilyn said, that's not a problem. She said, because I don't like Mother's Day. I'm going to work nursery both services on, on Mother's Day because I'm not a mother. And furthermore, um, my mother's gone. And besides, I give out flowers at the church to all the women, and I don't think I deserve one. So it's hard for her. My wife works in private adoption. She's taught me a lot of lessons about what it's like for a young couple to deal with infertility and what it's like for a young couple to go to church on Mother's Day and they're struggling to birth their own children. There are others of you who this may be your first Mother's Day without a mom. Paul, who's working in the sound system this morning, told me his mom died this year. And there's always those critical points in our life that make it difficult. So I'm here, and what I'm going to share with you is um, going to be centered in some of those thoughts, but it's going to be way bigger than that. So if you're not a mom here today, um, I don't want you to opt out of the message too early because I think there is something that I'm going to share with you that uh, has relevance to each of our lives, even if you're in high school. And you've got this one figured out because you happen to grow up in a family that was really good at this. You have a great opportunity with your peer group at high school to really have play a role in the, in the lives of your peer group. But I do have one question before we begin, and the question is this. What do you think it would have been like? Here's the question. It's going to appear on the screen. What do you think it would have been like to be the mother of Jesus? Sorry? Do you think it would have been fun? When I first asked my wife that, she said, I think it would be terrifying. I mean, I think about it just for just a minute. How difficult would it have been to know that you're the mother of the Savior of the world? I mean, how, 
I raised kids that, you know, I had a son we raised, and whenever his mother would ask him, where are you going, he'd say, I'm off to save the world and bring perpetrators to justice. <laughs> he was delusional. <laughs> Actually, the interesting story, this is way off topic, so I'm going to have to rest the message, but the interesting thing is eventually in his life, he came to the point where he was doing forensic archaeology, and he was responsible for compiling all the evidence for the trial of Slobodan Milosevic. Remember that name? So he would dig mass graves and put together all the evidence. So you have, a, you have an amazing role to play in the life of kids. But I, I don't think, I, I, even if it had been possible, I don't think I would have wanted to be the mother of Jesus. We get very few glimpses into what uh, the early years of Jesus' life were like. But you do, we do get one very interesting glimpse, and he happens to be 12 years of age. And that's uh, going to come up on the screen because it's recorded for us in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 52. Every year, Jesus' parents traveled to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up as they always did for the feast. And when it was over, they left for home. The child Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem this is interesting, but his parents didn't know it. Thinking he was somewhere in the company of pilgrims, they journeyed for a whole day and then began looking for him among relatives and neighbors. When they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem looking for him. Now here's more of the story. The next day they found him in the temple, seated among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. The teachers were all quite taken with him impressed with the sharpness of his answers. But his parents were not impressed. They were upset and hurt. His mother said, does this sound like a mom? Young man, what have you done? That, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been half out of our minds looking for you. And here's the rest of the story. He said, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I had to be here dealing with the things of my father. But they had no idea what he was talking about. So he went back to Nazareth with them, lived obediently with them. His mother held all these things deeply, dearly deep within herself. And as Jesus matured, growing up in both body and spirit, blessed by both God and by people. If you're a parent here today, you'll probably identify with this statement of Hodding Carter. Because Hodding Carter, and there's some dispute over whether or not it's really Hodding Carter said this, but this is a great quote. There are two, only two lasting bequests we can hope to give our children. One of these is roots, the other is, the other is wings. I carry a conviction deep within myself, and it's a, a, it's a rooted conviction with this. There is a place for all of us there's a part for all of us to play in the lives of others that is very characteristic of mother's role. But we get to do that through all our circle of relationships. Don't opt out on me because you think this is all about mom. But let me provide a context in which I, I want to do this. God asks all of us to be involved in the business of helping people discover roots and wings. Roots and wings. I'm going to illustrate that with a story. 
And it's the story of a friend of mine that's involved with me in Ohio in our work with Pastors of Excellence. His name is Roger. When Roger was four years of age, and, you know, I have trouble remembering things when I was 40. Roger has very vivid memories of this. He loved going to his grandmother's house because his mother cooked cube steak for him, and then the real treat was she allowed him to drink Donald Duck orange juice for supper. And one day his mom said to him, Roger, get in the car, we're going to Grandma's house. And his heart soars with the thought of going to Grandma's house. But this day he says there's something different because mom and dad in the car, there's a silence, and that's not usually the case. Usually there's some pretty heated conversation going on between his parents. An hour and a half drive, pull in Grandma's driveway. When they pull into Grandma's driveway, Roger's mom says to him, Roger, stay in the car. His dad gets out. Where did I go, Paul? Uh, takes three suitcases out of the car, and as Roger says, he walks towards his grandma's house, and he doesn't see him again for 32 years. It's the last he sees of his father for 30 years. And as they're backing out of the driveway, his mother turns to Roger and says this, Roger, today you, you will learn what it is to be a man. Can you imagine saying that to a four-year-old? What a burden. Roger says, I remember two things very clearly about that. First thing I remember is trying to think, what did I do to cause my parents to separate? Can you imagine a four-year-old asking himself that question? But then he said, I made another determination. The determination was this. this is his, these are his words. If I could grow up to work twice as hard as anybody else, I could probably be half as good as anybody else. Can you imagine a four-year-old laying hold on that? If I could work twice as hard as anybody else, perhaps I would be half as good. Here's what I think the assignment is. Here's what I think roots look like. God has wired us up with this set of core longings that all of us have that only ultimately he can meet. But in the meantime, he gives us a great privilege of being able to be partners in people's lives, whether as parents or in some other form, to speak into these needs within a person's life. And I'm just going to cover these quickly, but first of all is love. And you know what that looks like. I mean, the, the deep form of love. I'm not talking about the cheap form. I'm talking about the deep form. <clears throat> when Jan and I first went to Windsor, every Friday night, a group of young people would come to our house. We'd spend an hour or so studying the scriptures with them. Then we'd go play some games, and then they'd come back to our house for refreshments. I often wondered if they were even going to leave before breakfast. But um, th these were always fun evenings. And I'll never forget the evening when one of the young people in that group, Maureen, drove into the driveway of our house with a brand new Mustang. She's 16 years of age. And the kids say, that's a neat car your dad has. And she says, oh no, it's mine. And they're all salivating at the thought of being 16 and having a brand new Mustang. And then Maureen cut them all down with this statement. She said, I would gladly give up that car if for just once in my life I could hear my dad say he loved me. Isn't that interesting? I would give up that Mustang if for once in my life I could hear my dad say he loved me. 
That's how deep that longing is within all of us. And that's a privilege we have of investing in other people's lives in terms of that. That's why I think Christ was so centered in his life. Because at his baptism, there's a voice from heaven, the voice of his father. He recognized the voice. And the voice said, you are my dearly loved son deliberately chosen by me. That's the privilege we get. But that's not the only need that all of us, some of us have a need for, all of us have a need for security. That means I know that I am in a safe place. Ironic part of this story that we read out of Luke chapter 2, isn't it? Jesus is on a journey with a large group, or supposedly on a journey with a large group. His parents are on a journey with a large group of people, and they're assuming that their son is along for the walk. And then they discover he's not with them. And you can't, don't you want to just want to just scream, say, what irresponsible parents don't know their kid isn't with them? But you have to understand the culture. The culture in those days was very different. When these people were making this kind of journey, extended family took responsibility. So they were assuming aunt, uncle, cousins, who was he with? We don't know, but he's here somewhere. And then they discover he's not there. And they panic. Because Mary and Joseph knew that part of their responsibility was to provide security for their son. You and I have a great opportunity to Take the people that we have in our relational circle and help them feel that when they're with us, they're in a safe place. They're in a safe place. I was heading home to the train station when I was in seminary, and I was making my way through the subway system in Toronto, and I felt a pull on my leg. I looked down, there's little Asian eyes looking up at me. And I said, honey, what's wrong? She said, mister, can you help me find my way home? I said, well, can you tell me your name? And she said, yes, I'm Gracie Lee. Folks, do you know how many Lees there are in Toronto? (laughs) So now I'm going to be really intelligent. I'm going to say, okay, Gracie, where do you live? She said, in a big white apartment building. you know how many big white apartment buildings there are in Toronto? And all I could do for that little terrified little girl was simply grab her in my arms and take her to a security person with the Toronto Transit Committee Commission and trust and say to him, this is Gracie Lee. Could you please help her find her way home? Deep within all of us, there's that need for a sense of security. Then there's a need for a sense of security. Somewhere along the line as a child, I I suddenly decided I was adopted. And I lived with that angst about the thought of being an adopted child, not a real child, for a long time until I went to my mother one day and she set me straight. She told me about how painful it was to birth me. (laughs) I never asked the question again. But I also as a child longed for somebody to step into my life and say, I'm really proud of you. And I didn't have that. Because we all long for a sense of significance. 
to know that we matter, to we make, we make a difference. We all long for a sense of purpose. Remember what Jesus said to, to his mother when he was finally found? He said, you should have known where I was. I was about my father's business. And at 12 years of age, somewhere, he had clarity that this is what he was made for, to carry out his father's business. We all need understanding. We all need somebody who is able to enter into our work. Five o'clock this morning, I'm sitting in the lobby of the Holiday Inn. And I just want some quiet time to get centered on what I'm going to share with you today. And up comes this native Canadian guy, and he says, Hi, how are you? And as soon as he speaks, I can smell the alcohol. What do you do, he says. Well, I'm a shepherd. No, I, I said I'm a minister. And he assumed automatically that I worked for Stephen Harper. <laughs> so I had to clarify that with him. I had my Bible out. I kind of thought he'd catch on. And then he said this. Could I pray for my woman with you? Tell me the story. Well, seven weeks ago, we came to London because she has cancer of the spine. And they did surgery. And I'm just wondering if I could pray. And I said, I, you know, I'm used to people asking me to pray. Sure. So he starts in, our father, who I have to kind of help him. But I thought about that. Isn't it interesting that at 5 o'clock in the morning, this young man wanted somebody who would enter into his situation and kind of understand what he was dealing with. I wanted to be prepared for this morning. I didn't want interruption like that. But God puts people in your life because they need you to They need someone who can understand what they're going through. And finally, a sense of belonging. As I mentioned earlier, and I've told you before, some stories. Oh, we inherited a daughter at the age of six. She was 16. We were 16. And she just turned 48. And throughout her, her journey with us, she's always wanted to call us mom and dad, but... There's always been another piece of her life out there. We helped her get connected with her birth mother. We helped her get reconnected with her adoptive parents before they died. But a couple of weeks ago, she called me from the car, sitting in the car on her lunch break in downtown Cleveland, and I can tell she's on the edge of tears. And I said, what's going, Maria? You never FaceTime. We're doing FaceTime. She says, I think I just discovered that my Firm donor daddy is not my dad. And her world was once again torn apart because though she has a strong place of belonging in our family, there's still the longing to know that there was somebody who birthed her who cared about her, that she had a place of belonging there. Now, Chris and I had a great privilege this week of sitting in a session where Terry Wardle described for us the two that exist in the world. And I want to just do a variation of that for a moment. Basically, I want you to imagine that over here is a table where your family gathers on a regular basis. And it may not just include you and your kids. It may include other people. It may include your kids' friends. But let me say this. If at that table those roots are not built, what happens to kids? 
They go out into the world where there's another table. And the table may involve their peer group, it may involve other not so healthy adults. And they'll say, come on over here, we'll meet your need for love, we'll meet your need for security, we'll meet your need for significance, we'll meet your sense of understanding, we'll, we'll give you a feeling of belonging. But the price they'll pay over here is they'll have to perform, achieve, and please, or they'll lose their seat over here. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? That's the risky table. That's why it's very, very important that when they sit around your table in your home, they get those roots deeply settled. That's why I love what John does in his ministry here at IPC, because for every kid, as deeply rooted as they may be here at the family table, there comes a time in their life when they have to transition. This is what I believe because my parents believed it up to now, but now I've got to figure out whether I believe in my... And John's involved in that critical, and some others with him, in that critical ministry where they're in transition. And the transition is this, that ultimately that table will only do for a season. And ultimately the table that they have to have these roots established is the table of Christ. And that's why youth ministry matters because it helps young people transition into that place. Now the second thing I want to say is, not only are we responsible in the lives of others for helping them establish deep roots based on the core longings God has built within their lives, but we're also responsible to give them wings. And this is what I think was so difficult, such a difficult assignment for Mary and Joseph when it came to Jesus, because there came a time when they had to let go. And already at the age of 12, we're seeing that start to develop, the release. And these characteristics, are, I think, are what are true of building wings into the lives of another. Autonomy. I need to be released at some point. You needed to be released. Your young people need to be released at some point to discover what is life going to be like for me on my own. Even in the spiritual lives of individuals, we need to invest in them, to build roots in them, and then we need to release them. And I have watched, I have watched young people time after time get what I felt was a deep sense of rootedness in Christ, and when, then when they went out on their own, lost any sense of that. There's a risk involved. But there comes a time when if we're going to give wings to the people in our lives. I understand this both as a pastor and as a parent, how painfully difficult it is to release. And as I say, not all kids are as easy to love as some of the others. And we had a, a one that made life particularly difficult. And there came a point in my life when she was 16 where I had to say, God, no longer can we tell her how to live her life. She's obviously making choices for herself. All we can do is pray. And part of the autonomy that you give somebody, whether in their personal maturing life or in their spiritual lives, is to come to a point where you release. And the second thing that's part of this whole thing is blessing. No child, no person in their spiritual lives develops wings 
without somebody's blessing on their life. That's what, that's what Jesus got at his baptism. I have a friend, Kerry Newhoff, some of you may know him, but when his oldest son, Jordan, was 13 years of age, he said, I want Jordan to have an experience over the summer. And he asked Jordan, can you identify five men that you really like and would like to learn something from? And I was fortunate to be chosen by Jordan as one of those. And so for over the summer period, Kerry or his father or somebody would take Jordan to spend some time with each of the five of us who were to mentor him. This was kind of his bar mitzvah, if you know what I mean. And so over the summer, he spent some time in our home, and he went to work with me, and he took a lot of credit for some of the work we were doing. And um, it was fun. And at the end of the summer, we had this big barbecue celebration, and we came to Carrie and Tony's house, and we sat with Jordan, and Carrie asked just one thing of us. He said, when you get together with Jordan, can you do me this favor? Can each of you bring a word of blessing to his life? And for me, it was easy because I wanted Jordan to hear these words, the words of Zephaniah 3.17, what God wants to speak into your life. And I just remember watching Jordan that night just light up with delight as five guys in his life, five guys in his life, blessed him. We all long for blessing in our lives. Blessing is one of the things that gives us wings. And finally, this confirmation. I, I don't have to tell any one of you in this place this morning how important it is to have somebody step into your life and say, I believe in what God is doing in your life. But most of us don't have that happen often enough. And all I'm saying is in your little relational world or your big relational world, you have the amazing privilege of speaking words of confirmation into somebody else's life. I became a Christian on New Year's Eve. I could hardly, because it was in Illinois, and I could hardly wait to get home because there was one place I knew I had to go where there was somebody who would believe what had happened, that Christ had come into my life, and from now on my life was going to be different. And as soon as I got home and dropped my suitcases at the house, I went to that guy's home, and I sat and I told him the story of how Christ had come into my life. And he just took one big, he just developed one big smile and he said, in those days I was known as Charles. My mother insisted on it. Charles, you'll never know what God has in store for you. But I want to tell you that he has begun something of significance and he will see it through. I've lived off those words for all these years. You've got people in your life that need to have deeper roots and you have the privilege of being used by Christ to help develop those. Whether you're a parent or not. Just because you're a friend. Just because you've discovered in Christ what it is to have deep roots. And then you have the amazing privilege of coming into other people's lives. And offering wings in the shape of release, blessing, confirmation. So before I close, I... As I close, I just want to do one thing. There are some of you this morning that have really got a sense of what I'm saying because God's Spirit has been working in you. In fact, you not only have a sense of what God's asking, you actually have a picture of the person that you could make this kind of investment in. I want to pray for you. So please join me in that prayer.
Father, you know what nobody else in this place knows. That you have spoken into the lives of some people here. And they have a very clear sense of what they could be doing to build roots and wings into the lives of others. They actually have a picture of a person that you would want them to play that role in, the, in that life. So I just pray they'd have confidence. They'd have clarity in order to know exactly what you have asked of them. And that they would sense a deep sense of self-satisfaction as you use them to, in a way that only you can. So we thank you now for what you're going to do because you have been at work. In Christ's name, amen.